Welcome back, Marlins fans, to another episode of Marlins 9. Today I am joined by Nick Alvarez, host of the Marlins or the Fish and Whips podcast. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Nick's Take 22. You can find me on Twitter at Jeremiah Geiger 2. And today we're going to take a look at the upcoming Braves and Marlins series. A little bit of news around the league from uh, Juan Soto possibly being on the trade block. But first off, Nick, thanks for being on the show. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, great to have you on. Big time Marlins fan. Excited to talk baseball with you. So um, we'll just start. We'll jump right into it. Um, Braves Marlins uh, this weekend at Miami. Uh, home home series for them. Um, it's a big one. Uh, what's your yeah. thoughts on that going into the, the uh, Friday? Well, um, the Braves have had a struggling start to the season. That's, you know, a lot of their offseason headlines involving Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson and Ronald Acuna not starting the season um, because of his injury and then kind of joining in the middle of April. So I think they're still trying to find their footing as a team. Um, you know, but they're still the reigning world champions. They still have a dangerous lineup. Um, so I think it'll be an exciting series. It'll be another challenge for us. Um, we did take two out of three from them in Atlanta earlier in the year, um, which was big for us. Um, it gave us the confidence to go into this series knowing that we can play with them and also beat them. Just my my takeaways or um, my takeaways looking into this series from an early standpoint, I would say first off is the pitching matchups. I'm really excited to see uh, Trevor Rogers get out there on Friday. He'll be facing Charlie Morton, who's had a rough rough start, ERA close to five, but uh, historically against the Fish, it seems like he pitches pretty well. And yep. um, the Braves are also throwing out Kyle Wright and Ian Anderson, both young guys who have a lot of talent and, again, who seem to pitch well against the Fish um, early on in their careers. Uh, but Miami's got their ace on Sunday. They, we got Sandy pitching, so I'm, I like our chances in that one. I like our chances tomorrow, um, or Friday, rather, uh, with Trevor Rogers, assuming he can pitch like he did against Milwaukee last weekend. Of course, the storyline that has been circulating around Marlins Twitter the last two, three weeks has been Eliezer Hernandez and what to do about him. And it looks like he's a projected starter once again on Saturday, much yeah, to, uh, you know, better or worse, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, much to the Marlins Twitter, um, you know, chagrin, uh, per se. Um, the, they don't really seem to think he is a starting pitcher. Um, and I am on uh, the side leaning towards that. I think he is more of a, like a Cody Poteet, a long reliever slash spot starter, um, you know, who could, in a pinch, give you, you know, a decent start here and there. But the problem with Eliezer um, when he starts is that, you know, by the third time they get through the order, you know, his pitching becomes predictable and his, his, the movement on his pitches isn't as sharp. And so 
he tends to leave pitches more up in the zone, and the guy it doesn't really pitch that hard. He maybe get up to 92 miles an hour at most. So it's almost like batting practice if you're leaving it up in the zone for some of these for some of these hitters who are being told nowadays to elevate the baseball. So if you're leaving, you know, pitches like that up in the zone and these hitters are told to elevate the baseball, more than likely they're going to hit balls in the outfield, hit home runs or balls in the gap and that just hurts them too much. Yeah, for for the entirety of the season up to this point, I don't think I could be wrong, but I'm not sure if Hernandez has had a quality a quality start. Um based on the numbers, his ERA is super high. And, you know, it's kind of like a you know, a broken record at this point, but you hit you hit the nail on the head. He he, he doesn't throw hard enough. He can't make up for if his off speed pitches are struggling a little bit. We see that sometimes with, say, Sandy or Trevor. Um, they still have the fastball where they can keep hitters honest. And right. Eliezer just doesn't have that right now. And he never really had that to begin with. Even going into this year, I felt undoubtedly he was the weak link in the rotation. I was a little skeptical of Luzardo because um, of his struggles last season. But his stuff is so much better than Hernandez that you can have a little leeway uh, when it comes to him every fifth day because he could go out and strike strike out 12, 13 batters a game. El- Eliezer just won't do that for you. But hopefully right. um, he can give Miami a solid start, put them in a position to win because right now at 17 and 19, obviously tonight's game against the Nationals, we're recording this right before the, the, the closeout of that series. If they can win tonight and and hopefully take two out of three or even sweep Atlanta, um, they could be in business heading into next week, and it's and it's a pretty exciting prospect for sure. I wanted to touch on a little bit um, uh, Jesus Sanchez and the struggles we've seen from him. Uh, I've talked to you a little bit about that before, and you know just. Um, He's hitting close to the Mendoza line right now. His average has dropped all the way down. He's not seen the baseball well. And we've seen Donnie give him a couple off days here and there. Do you agree with this approach, or do you think it might be time for him to get even optioned back to AAA? Like, what do you think about Jesus right now? Uh, I mean, the guy has all the talent in the world um, as far as Jesus Sanchez. He has, you know... He has above average speed. He can he can field pretty well. He's getting you know center field, especially in Mullins Park, pretty down pat. He's making the routine plays for you out there, uh, which Marlins fans were skeptical about him playing there in the first place. Um, so now it's not really become as much of a worry as it was before. And you've seen it when the guy connects with the ball, like the ball just jumps right off of his bat. He swings so hard. And the fact that, you know, when the ball does connect, it's usually hit somewhere hard in the gap or it's going over the fence. And so you have all this potential upside, but you also are realizing, okay, you don't want him to lose all this confidence that he had at the beginning of the year. So it's a slippery slope because 
if you send him back down to AAA, it could derail his confidence even more. But if you show him that maybe, you know, okay, we'll give you a couple of days off here and there to kind of work out the kinks in your swing, and, you know, maybe you're chasing too many off-speed pitches outside of the zone, or you're not being as aggressive, then, you know, they can work with him and give him those starts, you know, that he needs to still, you know, stay, what's the word I'm looking for, stay active. Um, and so I think if they're able to do that and he's still pretty active in the lineup, maybe not every day until he gets his swing back, um, then I think you'll start to see him sort of get back into the swing of things. I mean, you know, last night, I feel like uh, a little bit of a monkey got off of his back when he hit that home run yesterday. Um, so, you know, especially because he wasn't initially starting that game. It was only because of uh, De La Cruz getting, getting hit in the elbow that caused him to leave the game. So, you know, for in or, just for him to, you know, go into the lineup when he wasn't even expected to play and do well, I think that, you know, that definitely boosted his confidence a little bit. And going into this weekend, and he's had success against the Braves, if he can, you know, have a good series against them, then I think we'll start to see him ascending into the positive direction. And like you said, it was really good to see him come off the bench and you know, obviously with the De La Cruz injury, hopefully it's not too serious, but to come off the bench and hit a, a home run right there and that ball was smoked um, mm -hmm. right in the gap to right center, um, to see that really was encouraging because, you know, I, I really like the approach that Donnie's taking when it comes to the struggling uh, hitters early this season because uh, Avi Garcia was struggling all um all of april into may and we've just started to see him start to heat up a little bit and it was due in part i think because uh donnie gave him a day off uh gave him a day or two off and it, it does uh miracles for for the mental aspect of the game and especially with a young player like jesus sanchez like you said it's not an issue with the talent or necessarily the swing mechanics itself I think a lot has to do with just overanalyzing at the plate, you know, not look, not seeing his pitch, swinging at things outside the zone and not being patient. So to give him a day off or two until he can hit out of this slump, um, you don't, it is a good idea. You don't need to throw him in every day in the lineup and say, well, keep swinging away because each at bat that he's, that he, you know, rolls over or strikes out on, it just derails his confidence, like you were saying, and that is right. really crucial for a young player at this stage. Um, yeah. I wanted to – oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Alessio Garcia, obviously, you know, he was one of our big signings in the offseason, and he's a veteran player, so you can't really treat him um, the same as – um, Jesus Sanchez because it has to be know, different definitely right it has to be different so and also you know people have expectations for Sanchez and they want him to do well but they don't have 
as many expectations as they did for Abisairo Garcia. And so, there, because he was the big signing, because he, you know, had a really a breakout year, people could say last year, people are expecting more of the same. And so, if, you know, especially in the month, month and a half that he wasn't able to produce, you know, you saw on Marlon's Twitter, I mean, even myself included, everyone was all over him. Like, as far as the negativity and, you know, why did we sign this guy? The worst signing right. in Marlon's history, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And us as fans, it just requires a definite a definite level of patience because I, I truly believe that at its best, this Marlins team can be competitive and can compete for a postseason spot. Um, and if you remember back, you know, three, four, five weeks ago, as a season, you know, got into 10 games or so, and Aguilar still hadn't had an extra base hit, and he was still struggling. There was a lot of people clamoring on Twitter for Lewin Diaz to be called up, and Augie's done. He's He can't hit the baseball, and now he leads the Marlins yeah. in hits. So it's right. definitely a, a a test of patience, but patience for Don Mattingly to leave these guys in the lineup and give them days off um, when they need one, when he feels like, you know, give them a break. or Because the organizational depth is there. You still have Brian Anderson. You still have um, De La Cruz. And hopefully John Birdie comes back and he was hitting really well. So top to bottom the bench i with the marlins bench i'm really happy with yeah i mean at the start of the season you know for record predictions i basically said at best this marlins team can win 86 games go 86 and 76 and you know of course you know people are like oh you're crazy this team can't win that much and i'm like just watch just be patient we have the starting pitching we have solid defense, and we upgraded at several positions um, on offense, or, you know, that I thought at the beginning of the year. So if we can just not – we don't have to be world beaters on offense where we're, like, top five offense and we're, you know, scoring six, seven runs a game, but we need to be an above-average offense, like a top 12 in Major League Baseball offense in order for us to compete night in and night out. And you've seen flashes of that throughout the season already. But the problem is they haven't been able to put it all together yet. And so you see you see all the potential that this team can have, and then you see the inconsistency, and it's still a little frustrating. But at this if this offense, especially the on, especially the offense and also the bullpen, can you know be more consistent, then I really think that you know we'll get to see them, like you said, compete for a playoff spot. Yeah, and exactly, it's it's consistency. It all boils down to consistency because you see games where the Marlins are scoring eight. 11 runs or so and you're like wow what a day offensively but when you look in the box score and I don't see a lot of people talk about this it seems to me that the majority of their runs are scored in bunches in er either early in the game or late in the game and you have three four five innings 
of dry stretches, dry spells for where the bats just go silent. And you can't have that when, when you, if you want to play October baseball, you're going to have to be consistent, not only throughout the game, but the entire lineup. Um, right. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's a long season and there's still a lot of baseball to be played, but that's something that Miami's going to need if they want to compete moving forward. And I also think that moving forward, when we get closer to um, the end of June, early July, even before the deadline, if Miami's competitive, I could see them reaching from their farm system and trying to go get another bat and especially a bullpen piece at the minimum. Is there any guys in particular, I know this is kind of a long ways off, but is there any guys in particular you look around and see in Major League Baseball that you think would be a good fit either for the bullpen or offensively? Uh, probably, if anything, I would say, you know, having that solid center fielder, not to say that Jesus Sanchez has done a bad job. He's done, you know, well above what everyone expected him to do as far as fielding the center field position. Um, but I feel like someone who is a natural center fielder would be good. Um, obviously, the Marlins tried on Brian Reynolds this offseason, and the, the Pirates wanted all that in a bag of chips as far as the Marlins prospects. So the Marlins were like, no, we don't think he's worth that much. And to be honest, so far that non-trade is actually working because Reynolds isn't doing so hot to start the season. Um, but I think probably trading for maybe a Loriano from the for the from the A's, or even trying to go back and look at Cedric Mullins from the Orioles, um, and testing the waters there and seeing if they're more interested closer to the deadline, especially if they're not especially if they're not involved in any of the races. Um, so because Cedric Mullins, while you know, he had that great season last year. People were saying, oh, maybe it's just for one year. But I think he's proven that, you know, he's got the pop in the bat. He can hit for average. He can steal bases. Um, he's above average in the field. Um, he's got a subpar arm. Nothing, nothing too great, but not bad. So you can see him taking over that center field position and really adding a jolt into the Marlins lineup with his bat, his contact, and his speed, which the Marlins do need speed in their lineup. I feel like they're still a little too slow for my liking. Cedric Mullins is a guy that, dating back to last year during the season, um, he was a guy that was on a lot of um, Marlins fans' minds, myself included, him and Brian Reynolds, and the other guy would be Cattell Marte. I would say those three were like the big name uh, stars that I would have loved to see Miami go after. Of my, mm -hmm. my favorite out of those three would definitely be uh, Cedric Mullins because he has the speed and the power, that speed-power combination we don't see in the Marlins lineup, I would say, apart from Jazz, it just isn't there, and he, you you insert him into center field, um, uh, mid July or early August for that postseason push. It could do, it could do wonders, almost like a Yoenis Cespedes type move, 
um, back yeah. in 2015 with the Mets. You get an offensive star like that because I think Mullins is one of the most underrated players in the game right now because he plays in Baltimore. So yeah. it's going to be interesting. Do I think they're going to do it? Um, you know, from what I've seen from the front office, probably not, but it's fun to speculate. Um, it's definitely fun to speculate. And it's also fun to speculate about uh, Juan Soto. If, if Juan yeah. Soto was involved in a trade, um, I just tweeted out today, I think that in order to get Juan Soto, and I don't think this would ever happen, I don't, I don't even think the Nationals are going to trade him, but if, in fact, they put him on the trading block, I think at the minimum it would take Pablo Lopez and Max Meyer to start a trade package for Soto. What, what do you think on that? It would either have to include an established major league starter like a Pablo Lopez, um, or it would have to involve two of our three main pitching prospects, which are Yuri Perez, Edward Cabrera, and Max Meyer. It would have to be two of those three, and then possibly like trading an Aguilar, who's like on his last season of his contract and his trade volume is ascending upward and probably another, you know, substantial minor league offensive player, like either a Peyton Burdick or even uh, JJ Blade. And while it would be hard to give up those guys because, uh, you know, Meyer and Blade were our first round picks over the past few years. You know, gating, uh, you know, Hall of Fame talent like Juan Soto is not something you should, you know, try to tread lightly with. You should, you either are all in or, you know, just get in the back of the line. Oh, can you imagine the jolt to this fan base if the Marlins went out on the deadline and got Soto? Like, that's a statement yeah. saying, hey, no, we're taking this seriously. Like, it's, exactly. it's go time. Right. And, you know, not only would it, you know, like you said, rejuvenate the fan base, but it would also then put all the all the butts back in the seats because you will have a guy like a Jesus Sanchez. You'll have Jorge Soler, who is, you know, a Cuban-born player. And you'll have Juan Soto. Like, that's in the – that's in the, that's, that's a – Pretty, that's a pretty darn good outfield, if you ask me. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, even and so, even if and then if you bring back Joey Wendell and you bring back John Birdie and you have Brian Anderson and Miguel Rojas and of course Jazz and Garrett Cooper and then if we trade Aguilar, bringing up Leywan Diaz, you know, which everyone is also clamoring for, then then you're really going to see. Uh, a difference in the in the Marlins' perspective on things, their competitiveness, and also a fan perspective of okay, wow, this team actually does want to win. Right, and that's that's the key right now. It's kind of in that middle ground of we've made a couple moves here and there. Um, if if I'm speaking from the perspective of the front office, we're showing that our fans that. Yeah, we want to win, but how much do we want to 
how much do we want to win? How much do we want to commit to this? Because in order to play October baseball, the roster is going to have to look different in two months. And especially in the bullpen, and I would argue offensively as well, just because of the inconsistencies. Um, Mm -hmm. Last thing before we wrap up, a player that isn't talked about a whole lot, but I still have hope for is Sixto Sanchez. He's up to throwing 90 feet again. Is he a guy possibly later in the season that you could see coming back to the big league club, either in the rotation or a lot of people um, on Twitter are starting to say possibly being a closer. Now, I mean, when you're talking about Sixto Sanchez from what we saw in 2020, which seems like forever ago, you saw how this guy had Pedro Martinez-like stuff. It's electric. And yeah, I mean, like, his sinker was almost touching 90 miles an hour. His changeup was touching near 93 miles an hour. And for a changeup, that's almost unheard of. And so you could you see all of that talent and all of that potential there. Now, can he actually make it back? By, by, you know, near the end of the season, like maybe mid-August, September, possibly, but everything would have to go right. And he has to, people have, you know, there have been rumors about him being more on the lazy side of things um, as far as, you know, getting back, getting, you know, getting healthy again or being in shape. And so if, he takes, you know, if he's committed to getting back on the major league club, then I would say he could probably be a mid-August uh, or September call-up, which would be another big boost for us. That would be absolutely huge because the talent is there, the stuff is there. It's It just depends on the work ethic. I remember when Jose... Uh, had Tommy John surgery and he was out all of 2014, just about um, came back the next year. I think it was the next year, 2015 in the summer. Mm -hmm. And he was back to his dominant self because he worked so hard to get back to that place. And if Sixto's shoulder heals up the way it's supposed to, and his, his velocity is still there, then there's really no, no one else keeping him back from rejoining the major league club eventually except himself. So it's going to be really interesting to follow him um, throughout the rest of the summer. Cause it's going to be a long process, but he's, he's a prospect that I'm not giving up on until I've seen him pitch again in a big league game, because what I saw back in 2020 and that was forever ago, but it was, it was insane. It was dominant. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you even had, like, you know, Pedro Martinez himself praising this guy. So when you have, you know, a a generation-type pitcher like Pedro Martinez saying, you know, this kid has the goods, then you want to see him out there and pitching. But now it also comes down to the person himself, where his mindset is at. How committed is he to playing baseball? How committed is he to coming back from his injury and rejoining the club. And so, like you said, if 
if everything goes on the right track as far as his rehab goes, and this guy comes back in shape and is, you know, ready to win and ready to pitch, then I think we will see, you know, something special from Cisco. Only time will tell. But, um, yeah, I just want to thank you for, for joining the show today. It was a pleasure talking Marlins baseball with you, man. Uh, you got a lot of knowledge, and it's I just I love discussing the team with you. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I've been a lifelong fan, and so, you know, watching this team year in and year out, throughout all the frustrations, you know, I've still tried to maintain that positive attitude because I know that one day this team will prove me right. I don't know when that one day will be. I hope it's soon rather than later. But, you know, I just hope that, you know, they prove me right and they, um, you know, are that competitive team that everyone has been dying to see. And until then, we just got to keep the faith and go fish. <laughs>